PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Remember, this podcast is available on all your podcast distribution networks, as well as our video interview on our YouTube channel, our 24-7 Roku and Apple channels, PCM TV, and all those social media platforms out there, including YouTube and Facebook and Twitch. This is what we do. Today, we've got a representative from the New Hampshire region. His name is Tim Egan. He's an old friend of mine from my days in media production. Tim, thank you so much for joining us here today. Jimmy, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, and it's always a pleasure to be part of anything pro-cannabis media does. I appreciate that. I'm reading a headline, GOP-controlled New Hampshire House votes to legalize marijuana possession and cultivation. This was a big story last week when it broke. Tim, what's the latest on this and what's the next step towards legalization in the Granite State? Jimmy, I couldn't have been more proud to be a resident of the state of New Hampshire when bipartisan support for Carol McGuire, Representative Carol McGuire's bill, House Bill 629, which is uh, possession and home grow, as we call it in the House bill, passed with an overwhelming majority. And the reason I want to stress that word overwhelming is because veto-proof is a phrase that we actually have to use in our conversations because our governor, we're not sure where he's at. You know, he, he, he says he's against it, and then he sort of, you know, it's kind of like well, I was before I wasn't. We've heard that phrase before in politics. So Chris Sununu working hard, trying to make the state and stay in good stead during this COVID environment, but we can't really sort of figure out where he is on the map. So the fact that 629 passed in the House, um, with 300 out of 341 legislators, um, the, uh, sorry, 358 legislators there, um, we had a, more than a two thirds majority, which means that that is a veto override. If the bill got vetoed and it had to come back to the House, that same amount of legislators voting would pass it. That means a lot as well to the next step, which is our focus on our friends in the Senate. All right. Well, we'll talk in about the past. That. If you're, if you're keeping yeah, score so, at home, if you're keeping score at home, Tim, that score on the vote was 241 to 113. So you're at, you're, right. your math was right. I'm sure you knew that. Right. The total, total number of legislators. So what 241 means is I think 66% is like 230 something. So we have a, you know, a majority. That's um, great. So that's so, the big first step is that, you know, this bill, which is actually a leftover bill, and I think we've had this conversation before. I have filed in the 2022 House session a legalization and homegrown bill. Actually, makes my bill happily moot. So if I don't have to, I'm still going to keep it on, sort of on the back burner in case something happens. But the, the fact that this bill passed says a lot. And another thing that was important: the bill tried to be killed, then it tried to be tabled, then we passed it. And earlier in the day, a commercialization bill, which not everybody is on the same page with because it has some taxes in it. And we know the word taxes in New Hampshire is like, you know, yelling fire in a, in a movie house. So people yeah. have, but that bill was not killed. We did not come out ought to pass, but overwhelmingly was tabled with the intention to bring it back. So the, the question, the answer to your question you asked me is, 
the prevailing winds inside the House of Representatives in the state of New Hampshire is very positive for pro-cannabis legalization. I'll say more strongly than it has been in the last five or 10 years. Yeah, that, that, that is good news. And again, it's a, it's a limited scope bill, but it's like a, a, a first baby step to at least get rid of possession and you can grow it at home as opposed to commercialization and state controlled dispensaries and, and all that in New Hampshire. That's another bill and maybe even the next steps down the line, yes? Correct, and included in 629 is actually, you can also gift some of your cannabis to your neighbor. Right. Like a cup of sugar or a glass of milk when you're trying to bake. This is the same representative logic. Um, right. Sorry you, for the pun, you, but. You do know that there's, there's some, there's some, there's with, with that kind of a law, the gifting thing, um, that was in the interim period between the vote in Massachusetts and the opening of the first medical dispensaries. And uh, there was a lot of gifting going on. Let's just say, you know, buy this T-shirt and I'll gift you an ounce for $400 or whatever. Right. Well, I think the state will be more stringent about that. But it was the idea that you could grow it and share it with your friends. So if you come over, look, I have this whole plant. I'm not going to use it all. Why don't you, you know, use some. The, yeah. I, so that's an important part. The other aspect is that this bill begins to set the stage. And when you talked about, I'll say baby steps, yes, it's it's crawl before you walk, walk before mm -hmm. you run. Mm -hmm. The logic that we are following is what happened in, in our neighboring state of Vermont, where they first passed legalization and home grow. And then a few years later, after they were able to think about it and approach it and adjust it and tweak it, then they created a commercialization bill that actually works for their state different from what Maine and Massachusetts and other states do. And I'm pretty sure, I'm absolutely sure that that's going to be New Hampshire because we're not going to, New Hampshire is not going to put a sales tax on it. My Republican colleagues, my libertarian colleagues won't vote for a tax. You know, will we figure out, is it something like a cigarette excise or the rooms and meals tax that we have, but there's not going to be a separate sales tax on it. That's going to take some time to think through. And luckily, the New Hampshire House has a biennium. So next year is a budget year. So if we pass legalization this year, then we can start thinking in the budget year, how will this bill impact positively our economic situation in the state? We're going to find new revenue. Can it offer funding for education, mental health care, you know, other things that... Um, that the state needs because they don't want, we don't want to raise income tax or sales tax. So that's sort of that two-step process. You're exactly right. You're, you're, you're doing this with a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge and you're, you're, you're reading the tea leaves in New Hampshire correctly, my friend. Yes. But what I can't read in the tea leaves is what's going to happen in the Senate. And it seems like whether it's a state Senate or a federal Senate, this is where cannabis bills go to die. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> or any movement goes to be run into a brick wall. So what is the the atmosphere in the Senate right now? How do you read the tea leaves and what's going on with some of your fellow um, New Hampshire politicians in the Senate there? Well, I think I now say I think I know one of the things that has not been approached before is something that I'll frankly say I've been spearheading along with my 
colleagues, uh, Representative Ross Berry, who I think you had an opportunity to interview, yeah. uh, Representative from Manchester, as well as Representative Carol McGuire, who authored Bill, House Bill 629, and a few uh, members on the Democrat, who are Rep Republicans, and uh, representatives on my side of the aisle, Representative Casey Connolly, who filed the commercialization bill that got tabled, and Representative Dr. Jerry Knurk, who was on the Cannabis um, Commission for when we passed uh, medicinal. So together, a bipartisan effort of House members are strategically beginning to look at, let's look at the Senate. Who are the senators that are yes? Who are the senators that are no? Who are the senators that are, I'm not sure yet. And, and more importantly, who are the senators that are initially no, but could be con con continue, con continued to be communicated with talked with and asked to think about the big picture here that we're talking about civil liberties we're talking about you know the mindset that other states have this you know if if if, if legalization and home grow happens in new hampshire it begins to reduce the amount of people that are leaving the state of New Hampshire and going to Massachusetts or Maine to purchase their cannabis, which is their legal right to do if they're over 21. Mm -hmm. But we're taking our money out of our state and sending it to other states. So that's the beginning of the statement to the Senate of this is why we need legalization. Then hopefully the follow up to that is we don't want them to if they can't grow it then we want them to buy it here, which is why we need commercialization again to try and keep them from taking their money out of the state. And more importantly, with commercialization after legalization, make it an opportunity for people to want to come to our state and say, you know what, if I want to go snowshoeing or mountain biking or snowboarding and or hiking and I cannabis is my choice versus alcohol, then I want to go to New Hampshire where I can buy it, use it legally, buy it. Right now they can't. So we're worried about how this will negatively affect tourism. So the Senate will understand budget and how this affects, how affects the economy for the state. They're gonna understand economic development and business and job growth. They're gonna understand that overall societal norms have changed and people are more accepting of cannabis as an alternative, alternative to alcohol, alternative to cigarettes, alternative to, you know, opioids, medic opioids, medications, you know, right. The, the rare that I get to quote the Rolling Stones with you, but you know, mother's little helper is, has been around for a long time. And, and this is something that is not a addictive prescriptive drug that big pharmacology runs. This is something that allows people their choice. If they want to smoke a little something, have an edible, but we're not giving them that choice. We're forcing them down a path of it's only alcohol or it's only prescription drugs. If you really have stress or anxiety or, or, or want to relieve yourself of some, some tough, tough days, right? This mm -hmm. is what we're trying to create for our, for our people. So the Senate will hopefully understand those things, economy, so, revenue, and, and sort of social right. So you got 354 in the New Hampshire House, how many? That's how many attended that day. Remember, we're 400 members strong, but okay. that's how many attended that day. All right. And how many are in, how many, what's the number in the Senate, I guess? Is, and do you know what the GOP versus Democratic uh, breakdown is by any chance? I know you weren't prepared for this, but I have a feeling you're going to know this number. 
there are 24 members in the Senate. Yes, Jimmy. And my quick look, because I have to do the math, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think uh, they have a majority. I think it's 13 to 11 uh, Republicans over Democrats. Um, okay. So, um, yeah. Really, we need to swing. You know, all the Democrats vote for it. And there might be one or two Democrats who might not. Yep. So, so say there's, you know, 10, yep. 10, we, we need six to eight Republicans for a veto proof majority in the Senate. I already know of three or four Republicans who have said out loud, I'm in favor of cannabis. So that's part of what the bipartisan effort between sort of these three leaders on, on the right in the house and these three leaders on the left in the house. And I won't just say it's left and right. You know, a couple of them are libertarians. A couple of them are traditional conservative Republicans. A couple of them are centrist Democrats like me. Some of them are progressive left Democrats. I made sure that we got all the voices together and those six are really going to work over uh, these senators and say, you know, time is now. We're gonna we're gonna miss the boat business wise. We're gonna we're gonna put our our state in a position of of being considered a bastion of prohibition. That's not a good attitude to have, especially when your second largest industry is tourism. So right. that's the effort. That's what's going on in the Senate. And that's all going to happen between now and what we call crossover day, which is May 31st. Oh. So all the House bills have to be um, sent to the Senate on that day. And then the Senate has within a month to vote on them and send them back to the House um, if they make any adjustments. So there will be a concentrated effort this spring uh, to recruit and engage and convince 18 senators to vote in favor of House Bill 629 so that it has a veto-proof majority. Because if you want to talk about that next, I'll let you, I'll let you ask. It's going to go to the governor's desk. That's exactly what's the next question. God, you, you've done this before, Tim Egan, you know? Absolutely. You and so, I are of like minds, my friend. That's right. So it, it, the idea is to get a bill passed that is veto-proof by a two-thirds plus majority, if you will, that um, the governor can be the governor and just say, I'm not going to touch this. I'm not going to veto it. I'm not going to agree to it. You guys make it happen in the legislature. And that clears his hands in case he wants to uh, has a, a further aspirations or whatever, whatever reason. Uh, he makes. You, you, you touched on two things. The further yeah. aspirations phrase I'll leave second. The first one is, yes, he could do exactly what Phil Scott did, the governor right. of Vermont, which yeah. is. They, what the phrase in politics is, they put it in the drawer. The governor has five days after a bill comes to his desk to either veto it or sign it. After five days, it automatically becomes law. So he could basically say to those who are anti-cannabis, I didn't sign that bill. That's and to true. those who are pro-cannabis, I didn't veto that bill. That's right. And oh, by the way, I'm running for re-election <laughs> as right. governor. It, it, so, isn't it amazing, by the way, and I, I know this is true across the board on the federal side, state side, that the issue that brings out the most voters to the polls in a lot of these states is cannabis. When cannabis is on the ballot, it, it galvanizes people's vote, um, right to vote. They want to they want to take part in it. And this is what I keep saying is that you could walk down the street and ask 100 people, 
every single one of those people has an opinion about cannabis, whether it is an enlightened opinion, educated opinion, or ignorant opinion, but it's an opinion. Right. And it's one, one of those hot button issues, right? Everybody does. And if you walk down the street in New Hampshire, eight out of 10 people, as of a 2019 yep. UNH study, will say, I'm in favor of it. Right. Where's the problem here, Governor? So right. what we're trying to do is begin to try and convince him, talk to his leadership team, you know, commissioners that respectfully will be impacted by this. Department of Transportation, oversee the state police and have to worry about under, you know, operating under the influence. We want to hear what they have to say. Yep. Uh, Department I'm- of Agriculture Commissioner, you know, that if folks are going to grow and grow and create grow business. Um all of these, you know, economic development, we want to hear what his leadership has to say and what he wants to say. But at the end of the day, we know what the people of New Hampshire want. We represent those people. So we're going to push for what they want. Hopefully he will begin to realize, look what Phil Scott did, Republican. Look what Charlie Baker did, Republican. Look what, um, um, I forgot his name now. He's been gone so long in Maine. Um, he was the Republican governor when it passed. Um, um, oh, weird, weird name. Ab, not Abner. Um, uh, so, yeah. So yeah. all uh, all three states surrounding us all passed legalization of cannabis with Republican governors. Interesting. So hopefully he'll begin to see the big picture that it's not a we're not in the Reagan age. Angus anymore. King. Ang, no, Angus King. Angus. King was is the current senator and was the governor. But okay. he was a moderate. It's um, right. He was the angry guy who uh, uh, current Governor Mills defeated when he ran for reelection. I, 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 knew, was, I knew I would come up with a name from Maine. OK, he was an angry guy who liked the former president, who I try not to say his name out loud anymore. So um, so the idea that conservatives see this as a civil a civil right issue like uh, this is I'm entitled to do this, just like they say to me. And this is not my preferred choice. I'm entitled to carry my handgun. I'm entitled to ride my motorcycle without a helmet, right? These are entitlements that conservatives want. So now we have the conservative membership of the house and people in New Hampshire. And I want to say it's like 83% of Democrats, 81% of independents and 70% of Republicans. That's how it breaks down in terms of those folks in that UNH study who say I'm pro cannabis. So if his leadership in the House and the Senate and his constituents and business leaders who see this as an economic development opportunity, even without commercialization, think about if it's home grow, think about all the garden centers and lighting centers and all the people that make a living off of helping people grow tomatoes or grow corn or grow grow whatever, they're going to grow cannabis. If he's a pro-business Republican, why aren't we paying attention to one of the newest revenue sources that a business and generation that can happen in the state? So that's what we're going to be pushing on the governor and his response. Uh, interestingly, when he was asked about the bill I filed a few months back, and I think I shared that with you and we talked, you may have uh, mm-hmm. talked about this. It was uh, interviewed by a TV station not to be named because I know we only talk about pro cannabis media here. We can talk uh, about any TV station uh, you want. Uh, okay. um, uh, Adam Sullivan at WCAX in Vermont interviewed okay. me yeah. about the launch of this bill. 
yeah. then afterwards, he went to an event where he said to the governor and he asked the governor at a press conference, you know, what's your thought about not one, not two, but three pro-cannabis bills being filed and three constitutional amendment bills being filed. And he said, we're going to have to look at this like we've never looked at it before. So there's some hope there. Yeah, I do want to talk about the the one last aspect, which I think is going to make him be more open-minded to this. There are three bills that have been filed that would make this a, what they call a constitutional question. So what happens is if we pass that bill in this coming session, it becomes a referendum question on the state and the voters vote. So I would think he would want to approve it, sign it before he's forced to by the voters. You know, it doesn't send a good message on election time if, you know, you are following, not leading. He wants to be a leader. Maybe he, he should be paying attention that these questions are going to potentially come to the ballot box and people in the state will say, we don't care about the legislature or the governor. We want it and we're going to vote for it because it says 80% in the study. So eight out of the 10 people will go in and click yes. And what's he gonna do then? I, I, at this point, I, I, I can't imagine him not allowing this to become a law, whether he signs it or not, like Phil Scott did in Vermont. I mean, it just, it, it, it's certainly his MO. It could, you know, that way he gets to play both sides of the fence, which politicians love to do. Not you do, Tim, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, right. Some do. And, and you know, he's running for re-election in a state that wants it. I don't right. know who his opponent yet. We haven't seen any Democratic opponents yet. You're not but... you're not thinking about a run. I, that was a joke, Tim. <laughs> I would ask you to come tie me to the chair if I ever said that out loud. Um, <laughs> I respect what governors do, but yeah. I don't want to run a state. I don't have the experience for it. I I'd rather spend my time helping people in the legislature with things like education and the environment and economic development and pro-cannabis and teach at colleges and do media work. Right. But I, I, I do not have big picture aspirations. Right. Um, I, what I, I do have is aspirations to basically say to myself, why did I get in the legislature and what do I want to accomplish? And if I can create legal cannabis in the state, be a part of helping that happen. Then two, three terms, whatever I serve, I actually did something of value. Right. And that's and, what I want to do. And we're all part of history here, Tim. I, that, it, there's definitely a feeling of we're part of a change in attitudes and in facts and figures and science and research that it, 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 everywhere you go now, people are getting more and more education about this plant. Um, there's an issue in uh, Massachusetts and other states as well, and they continue to try to figure out what is the best way to deal with the operating under the influence of cannabis behind the wheel of a car. And while a lot of the lawyers out there and the people that recognize this, it is very difficult to prove impairment based on the amount of cannabis in your system. And they've yet to find a way to get this done. Um, very interesting uh, report out of, um, I think it was Australia. They, they looked at seven of these other studies of uh, that were involved with operating under the influence of cannabis. 
and it was inconclusive. And that's that's the biggest challenge is how do you take something that and the research and the facts that are inconclusive and then still judge whether someone is impaired or not? You're not going to give a driver's test on the side of the road, right? No. And I think the big issue here is the fact that cannabis is still on schedule one because right. there's lots of money and lots of allowances for alcohol research done through NHTSA or MAD and all these great organizations who want to study the impact of how much alcohol you can consume before you drive and become a hazard. Right. But the federal government allows that to happen. Because cannabis is still on Schedule One, there's no federal funding for this. Right. There's no states to do research. You can't give money to to departments of public health or state or state police departments to do it. There's no opportunity for universities to do this kind of research and study it because they can't pay their employees or let students take classes. So we're really hamstrung. So when you talk about the Senate federally, yeah, we're hamstrung by the Senate, who because the House passed, um, you know, uh, allowing allowing it to be descheduled, but we're sort of sitting on our hands over there in the Senate. That and banking laws are the two things that are holding up a multi-trillion dollar industry. Yeah. I know you know all these numbers, but I'm going to say it for a fact for, for your viewers. Last year, 2021 in Massachusetts, it was a $2 billion industry. In the first year of use in of availability in Maine, it was a $600 million industry. The projections for the state of Vermont first year is $500 million. So with all this revenue around banking and research organizations and um, public safety organizations could leverage that capital and do research to make sure we understand how much someone can consume before they get behind the wheel of anything. Yeah. But because we're, you know, we're putting the, we're putting the bracelets on too early here. We're, we're right. hamstringing the opportunity for people to do research. And out of, and, and we know this, out of every bit of research that's ever done in the United States, there's always something else good that comes out of it. We did radar research for the war and what ended up happening? Everybody's got a microwave now, right? <laughs> so research is a good thing. And if we can have it descheduled and allow federal funding to help do research for what is impairment, what is too much uh, that violates an un, uh, under the influence statute. We need to do that. Yeah. And we need to do that because there are states where it's legal, right. where someone can leave New Hampshire and go purchase it. And it's only a hundred dollar ticket decriminalized here. So you could, you could be a problem, but we don't know how to solve that problem. It, it, look, research, science, uh, a news item today, I, I'm pretty sure I saw that the FDA has approved a CBD-based drug to help people get off opioids, and it will be a clinical study, I think, at the UCLA uh, Medical School uh, in the next few months or so. So this is, you know, they're slowly, slowly recognizing that, you know, that schedule one thing, probably, we probably should get rid of that, right? Yeah, early, early on uh, in the first few years of legalization in, in Massachusetts, uh, because you and I, you know, I'll, I'll explain because it's your viewers, you know, I do work in, in, as much as I live in New Hampshire, I do work in greater Boston. And yep. I was doing some work with uh, Partners Health, uh, uh, sorry, um, Mass General. 
Um, and they were struggling with getting access to funding because they had research initial tests that was showing that cannabis was an, a non-addictive alternative to opioids. Right. So, you know, if it's, if, if we're not able to allow this research to happen, there are so many social issues that we could potentially solve or curtail, you know, aside from simple ones like someone in New Hampshire could be growing and selling cannabis and a mile away on the border of Massachusetts, someone's making half a million dollars a year selling it out of a dispensary. Right. Person in New Hampshire is going to jail. Well, right. why are we putting these people in jail? Why are we crowding our jails? Why are we creating more costs to our correctional and legal system? These are like that, Is that because it's a privately run uh, institution, our, our jail and prison system? I mean, that's a major issue, isn't it? Oh, don't we, we could go down this bowling alley. I, I knew, alley. I knew, I did. I did. <laughs> anyway, hey, Tim Egan, as always, uh, representative of New Hampshire, you represent your state and your local community so well. We appreciate you making yourself available to us here at, at Pro Cannabis Media. So I thank you for uh, uh, joining us once again on In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Now, remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Media programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at Pro Canna Media, on Instagram at Pro Cannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at Pro Cannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on Pro Cannabis Media, Twitter at Pro Canna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash Pro Cannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.